the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. Uh, interesting uh, piece in the, at the Public Discourse by Anthony Davies, who's a professor of economics at Duquesne University. He's also uh, a Friedman uh, scholar at uh, Foundation for Economic Education. He and his wife, he talks about having kids. He and his wife started out thinking they'd have two, and uh, they wound up with six. What did you learn from having many children? He writes, humans are hands down the single most fascinating set of creatures on the planet. If you want to understand how humans work, just make a few. Sit back and watch them do their thing. But one or two won't do. To understand humans, you need to observe enough of them so the individual quirks average out and you get to see the commonality in their behaviors. How many are enough? Probably several hundred thousand. As that was outside our budget, we settled for six. And then he goes through some of the insights he gleaned from his six kids. It's very, very good read. And it speaks to the larger question of the fertility issue, the population growth, getting to replacement rate, uh, including but not limited to through immigration in this country. And that is a subject that our next guest has written about extensively, including a a recent piece called Escaping the Parent Trap. He is Lyman Stone, research fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, chief information officer of the population research firm Demographic Intelligence and adjunct fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Lyman, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be with you. So um, they, uh, Professor Davies, uh, they thought they'd have two, and they uh, they went up to six. And it sort of speaks to something that uh, you write about in your most recent piece I referenced and, and we've discussed with you before, which is that right now in America, it may surprise people to know that women and, and families are saying that they actually are having less children than they otherwise desire to have. That's right. So we have a, a whole lot of surveys where we ask people, how many children would you ideally have? How many children do you want to have? How many children do you intend to have? You know, we ask all these different question wordings. And pretty much uniformly, we find that people want somewhere between like 2.1 and 2.8 kids, right? Of course, nobody actually wants 2.5 kids, but they want two or three or something like that. Right. Uh, but on average right now, um, fertility rates are such that a woman who's uh, who's coming of age today, if birth rates remain uh, constant throughout her life, would only have uh, less than 1.7 children each, um, which means that she's likely to have a major shortfall between um, between the number of kids she, she wants to have and the number of kids she actually has. Now, there have been shortfalls in the past. Um, this isn't a, a brand new thing. We actually see this in, in a lot of countries in a lot of time periods. But the, the, the current gap is one of the largest, um, one of the largest that we've ever seen. Well, and and um, you uh, make a point too about the way we message on it uh, from a, the perspective not of the sort of apocalyptic leftists like AOC who suggest there's no point in having kids because the world's going to end in ten years, but from the perspective of people who um, want to repopulate the species who say 
uh, we want people to have kids. But at the same time, we're saying it in the context of we have this fertility crisis that you're describing. We're not at replacement rate. We need immigration. So we need you to have more kids. And, you know, you suggest maybe that's not the best way to sell having three or four or five kids as opposed to having zero, one or two. Exactly. So uh, all too often we have what I call the, the paradox of pronatalism, which is that governments kind of tell people governments look around. They say, oh, gosh, fertility rates are so low. That's going to be horrible for the economy. Maybe that's that's you know one thing people might say. They say we need to boost fertility. So let's go tell everybody that fertility is too low and we need them to have babies and give them, I don't know, money for it or something. The problem is if you go to all the potential parents and you say the future is going to be terrible, we need you to have babies. All those parents go, I don't know if the future is going to be terrible. Maybe I don't want to have babies. <laughs> right. Um, not, not to mention, so, I, I'm not sure I want the state driving my the my my uh, the amount of children I'm supposed to have. Sure, precisely. So so my perspective is that the government should not be setting a target fertility rate or something. We don't need to have central planning for baby making. Um, that's that's not the goal here. Right. Um, Instead, what we should do is we should just listen to the preferences people have. People do tell us how many they want, and they also tell us why they don't, ha- they don't have them. And it's, it's not because they just decided later on they didn't want them. We actually have really good longitudinal analysis that allows us to, to uh, um, kind of parse out that. Let, let's, let's hold, let, let, wait, wait, let's hold it right there because uh, we'll just – we call them the business of tees, as you know. Let's hold it right there about why, why they're not having the kids that they want to have. Get that on the other side of the break. More with Lyman Stone. Research fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, Chief Information Officer of the Population Research Firm, Demographic Intelligence, and Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. We'll be right back with more. The more you'll know, this is is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Lyman Stone, Research Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, Chief Information Officer of the population research firm Demographic Intelligence, and Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And we left uh, you hanging uh, with the break there uh, why people, families, are not having the amount of children they say they desire to have. And, uh, Lyman, let's pick it up there. Why is it? I would say there's basically three big families of reasons, and those are time, money, and marriage. That is, the money one's simplest. Having kids is expensive. There's costs, and people often don't have the money. And, you know, 200 years ago, even if having a child was expensive, it was retirement insurance right? That child might provide for you when you're older. Today, parents don't expect to reap economic returns from their children. And in fact, it's, it's very difficult legally to do so. Um, so we've actually changed the economic direction of transfers here, which changes the economic calculus. Then there's also a time problem. People spend years and years in, in school and all these things that sort of postpones adulthood. Uh, beyond that, married couples collectively work more hours than in the past. If you work a lot of hours, you don't have a lot of time to spend with kids, which means parenting is less fun because what's fun about parenting is being with your kids. There's all sorts of time concerns around 
parental leave from work, vacation time, all these things. But then the actual biggest reason is about partnership or marriage. Marriage is getting increasingly delayed. People are getting married later. And even though a lot of births happen outside of marriage, marriage still causes people to have a dramatic increase in their odds of becoming pregnant and having a child. And so as marriage is delayed, that stability that allows people to say, okay, I think it's a good idea to bring a child into the world, that period comes later too. And as those things come later, it's more difficult uh, to achieve fertility desires. And is it the, the same dynamic at play in terms of why it's coming later, why marriage is coming later? So uh, it's coming later and that creates a, a smaller window. There's a reason it's coming later and it's sort of the same reasons as, as the, the larger uh, issue of, of the number of children people have versus what they want, which is to say um, all of those buckets you mentioned and also sort of just this idea of um, – I don't know, the individualization or the atomization of life in, in the West where um, there's a lot more perhaps navel gazing going on than there used to be in a, in a bygone era. Yeah. So there's, of course, uh, things about, you know, timing of life and this sort of thing. But I think one of the big transitions we've seen in marriage is between sort of marriage as an investment versus capstone marriage. So capstone marriage is the idea that once you get your life in order, and you've got the job, and you've got the, the house or whatever, then you cap it off with a marriage. And marriage mm -hmm. is like sign that you have everything in order. And that model of marriage is becoming increasingly prevalent, that instead of marriage being something you do in the progress to sort of um, achieving the life you want, marriage is like the reward you give yourself after you've achieved everything that you want. So this idea contributes to marriage uh, being delayed. You have a lot of people saying, well, you know, uh, I can't get married yet because I don't have a stable job. You say, well, why does that prevent you from being married? Because marriage is, is a, a thing you do once you're stable, rather than the idea that marriage is something you do in order to become stable. Yes, and, and also, to, and you sort of address this uh, in your piece, too, the idea that uh, marriage and family is part of a, a life well-lived. You know, there's, there's a sort of a value appeal to it that maybe isn't as pronounced as it used to be with the increasing secularization in society. That's possible. Um, the evidence on, on this is very complicated because on the one hand, it, it, we do see uh, growing shares of people in surveys saying that like they don't think marriage is, is essential for a happy life. At the same time, the share of people who say that they want to get married has essentially been unchanged in decades. And, um, and the average age at which people say they want to get married has not actually changed all that much. So I think what we've seen is a lot of people becoming more uncomfortable about proclaiming general ideals. That is, we're seeing more people uncomfortable with saying, you know, to be happy, you have to be married. But we are also, but we are not seeing a big change in the extent to which people desire marriage for themselves. I think this is related to this broader problem about like, you know, um, we see a lot of like, especially sort of progressive people talking about how, oh, marriage isn't necessary for happiness, all these things that you know, we need to do. This very progressive family talk. And then in their own lives, they're in a stable right. marriage with yeah. 2.5 kids and white picket fence. Right. You think, well, gosh, if you were practicing what you're preaching, your life would look different. Um, so I wonder, I wonder which one of these is what you really believe. Yeah, right. Or, or preaching what you practice is, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so um, I, I wonder then with what, uh, if any evidence there is to support some of the the government engineering programs that uh, continue to abound. Uh, you you sort of mentioned family leave being one of them. Uh, we have in in the context of. Uh, pandemic recovery, a whole new round of proposed child tax credits, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Do those government inducements matter? 
Uh, they do. Um, government policies have an influence on fertility. That's a pretty clear, uh, pretty clear finding from virtually all academic research. The size of that influence varies depending on the policy and how you study it, but there is an influence. Um, and I, but I, I think it's important to understand that um, some policies are more sort of government social engineering than others. So take the child dependent care tax credit. There's a tax credit you only get if you have kids and you have, and all adults in the household are employed. So it's basically, we take households that already have two employed people, which is higher earning households. Um, and then, oh, and also you can't claim it if you're very poor because you don't have enough tax liability. Um, so we take households that are already rather well-to-do. They have two earners and relatively high incomes. And then we give them an extra tax credit um, to pay for their childcare, okay? Um, but if you are a household where one person stays at home, there's no support for you. Um, so this is a case of government social engineering pretty emphatically trying to encourage a specific model of family. That mm -hmm. is two workers, kid in daycare, okay? Whereas a child allowance, like this proposal that Mitt Romney's put forward recently, um, is not like that. Basically, everybody gets it. It's not going to discriminate based on family structure, um, which means the biggest beneficiaries of this are actually going to be um, married couples where, where maybe one spouse would prefer to stay at home, um, but they can't really afford it. Um, that, that's really the, the group here that stands to gain the most um, from uh, from a child allowance. So I think that we shouldn't just think of everything the government does as like government social engineering, because some policies facilitate people making a variety of choices, whereas other policies specifically favor certain choices that the government wants to approve. That is, they pick winners or losers. That's a good distinction. He is uh, Lyman Stone, Research Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, Chief Information Officer of the Population Research Firm Demographic Intelligence and Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Lyman, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Podcast of the show at danproftshow.com.